Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, years ago, when Nathalie and I attended Calvary Chapel in our hometown in Santa Fe, I remember a story that the pastor used to illustrate when he talked about the grace of God, right? And the story goes like this. He said, I once heard of an agnostic farmer who wrote to the editor of the local newspaper, who in turn was a Christian. He writes this. He said, in defiance of your God, he said, I plowed my fields this year on Sunday. Uh, You all went to church. You all, I plowed my fields on Sunday. He said, I fertilized them on Sunday. I planted them on Sunday. He says, I even cultivated them on Sunday. And you know what? He says, I reaped one of the greatest, biggest crops I have ever reaped in October. And then he reads and he tells the newspaper, he says, how do you explain that? The editor replies, God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. You see, here's the thing. Some people, guys, think they're getting away with sin. And that the fact that God hasn't judged them They think that's a great sign that he's okay with the way they live. Hey, God hasn't done any of that. Listen, listen, I did this, I did this. And and again, it's it's just they're they're just misled. And and we must always remember that the thread throughout Scripture, and that reminds us that God doesn't always settle his accounts when we think he should. That would be the grace of God. And there are people living right now thinking, man, listen, I got plenty of time. I've got, here's what I'm going to do, man. I mean, I'm living my life my way. You know what? Listen, and when I die, my tombstone's going to say I did it my way. And, and listen, God doesn't always settle just then. And, and the grace of God, he's trying to get. And you go, well, what do you mean? Well, again, some people think they're getting away and God doesn't always settle his accounts. You go, again, give me an example. Well, remember, God promised Abraham, guys, back in Genesis, Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 17, verse 8, he says, also, I will give you and your descendants after you in the land which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And this is a great promise. What God's saying, guys, listen, it's going to be yours and all of your descendants. God promises that. Now, here's the thing, right? When you get a promise, you're like, yes, when is it going to happen? Tomorrow? Yeah, all right. But here's the thing, guys. This didn't happen right away. As a matter of fact, remember, God gives Abraham the timeline actually earlier in chapter 15. He says this, And when he said to Abraham, No, certainly your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom I serve will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, Abraham, and you shall be buried at a good old age. Now, here's the key, verse 16. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You guys hear that? This is what he's telling Abraham. He's saying the iniquity of the Amorites. Now, here's, here's the thing. Listen. 
in his wisdom, in God's grace, God gave the Amorites 400 years to repent. He said, listen, I'm going to take the children of Israel. Help me, church. Where did he take them? He took them to Egypt, right? That's where they were in bondage for Egypt. That's where we're going to get the whole exodus and all of that. He says, man, when you come out, they're going to give you the spoils of Egypt. And I'm going to deal with Egypt. But for now, the point is he's trying to get the Amorites, guys, all of the people of Canaan, to come back to God, to acknowledge God. And all the time we're going, wow. And I mean, think about it. That's what he says. Though God tolerates the wicked for a time, yet his vengeance falls on them when the measure of their wickedness is full. That's what he's saying. In the fourth generation, you're going to return here. Why? For this is it. This is it. That's one example. Another example is in our text tonight in chapter 19. And chapter 19 is not a fun chapter. It's not a chapter where you and I crawl up on the lap of God and we go home excited and we're motivated and God says, yeah, and he's going to give us power and we're the champion. Let's hit the road. This is not a fun chapter. See, it's about God's holy judgment on a wicked city. And so where we left off last week in chapter 18, if you recall, two angels and the Lord Jesus himself. What's that called? It's called a Christophany or a Theophany. It's the pre-incarnate Christ coming and visiting, right? He comes with two angels and he appears where? He comes to visit Abraham's tent. And it starts off with the Lord appeared to Abraham. And so this day was going to be something spectacular, If you recall, it was the hottest part of the day. Abraham looks up from his tent. He sees three men standing in front of him. It's hot. But that doesn't mean anything to Abram. He runs and he bows down to them. Now, remember this term for bowing down. What does it mean? It means to worship. Guys, this is the first time we read it in the Bible. Abraham comes and he bows. And I think, listen, when we come and we gather together in worship, whether it's a church setting or in your, in your house or whatever you might be doing, here's the one thing. Remember that, that, that worship is us bowing down to God. Even if we're not bowing down physically, in our hearts, we're bowing down. And if we're honest, there are times we go in worship and we're singing and our hands might be raised, but here's what we realize. We realize that our minds are somewhere else. We haven't tuned in here. Oh, I don't know. Tomorrow, you don't know the paperwork I've got to do. You don't know what I've got to do. Oh, this person called me. And we're trying to sing, and and, and we miss it. The most important person, the most important worship should be to God. And yet, like all of us, we just blow it at times. We're like, okay, listen, I know we're singing four songs. Let's go. Amen. All right. Let's get to the teaching and, and, but we got to, we got to take some time. And it's almost like we should go, let's just stop the service and let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's worship him for he's worthy to be worshiped. That's what Abraham does. And that's what we got to do. We've got to come in here and be so equipped in our hearts and so deep in love with Jesus that when we worship him, there is nothing else coming in and nothing else trying to get in, in in our way. It's worship. That's what he does. That's what he does. He comes bowing down. Abraham says, man, listen, come on in. And we're reminded of this great hospitality. Do you guys recall that? We're reminded that hospitality is not dependent upon our hearts. 
upon our house, but upon our hearts. And it's so cool that we get to practice this when you invite somebody over or they just show up unexpectedly. Do you have a heart of hospitality? Pastor Ben, I just don't like people showing up at my house. No, but think about it. If God is orchestrating everything in your life, everything, where are you going to go, right? Have you ever just randomly thought, I need to go to the store? You just ran- random, right? No rhyme, no reason. I need to go to the store. I need to pick up this and this. And you do it at a specific time, and you run into somebody that you're just like, whoa. God has been orchestrating that in your life. Okay? You guys with me? Think about when somebody comes and you have a heart of hospitality. God is orchestrating that in your life. We should have a heart. Sit down. Let's have some coffee. How you doing? How you doing? Here's the thing, guys. Let's be honest. We all like fun, but most of us really want to just sit down and talk to somebody. We just want to share a little bit the struggles we have. In our discipleship class yesterday, we talked about this a little bit, and we said, you know what, we, we all, we, it's hard for us to do. It's hard for us just to open up and share because we all put on masks, and we don't want people to think any less of us than who we are, and then we don't want people to think we're weaker than who we are, and we don't want, so we all put on masks. How are you doing? Good, brother. I'm doing good. Praise the Lord. And over here, you're crawling inside going, man, people, I don't understand what's going on in my life. And I think if we had the heart that God wants us to have with hospitality, we can go, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Let's talk. Let's talk. And that's exactly what Abraham is going to show us, great hospitality. Well, we know that well, the scene changes, guys, in the chapter, verse 16. Now, the overall theme of chapter 18 and 19 is that God doesn't overlook sin, and we need to remember that. God doesn't ignore it. And sometimes, let's, can, can we be honest in church tonight? Sometimes we feel like we're getting away with it. Sometimes we do. We're like, man, I know that's a sin. And you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, and God's merciful and grace, and it doesn't happen. And you're like, hmm. And we know God's not pleased with it. We know he's not. But we're like, oh, oh, well. And what it does is it causes us to go, oh, maybe, maybe I'm okay. Or we start to presume upon the grace of God. Well, I know that this is a sin, but I'm under God's grace, so amen. And we got to be so careful. Because God does not overlook sin. Think about this. The sin that you committed today. Let's just talk about that for a second, okay? The sin we committed today in our thoughts. Can I get an amen? In our attitudes. Can I get an amen? You know, just just attitude, right? Just the attitude you had nobody see when that guy cut out in front of you and just like, oh, get me the... <clears throat> right? You're just upset. And just some of those attitudes. Listen, we could talk about this, guys. God says, no, 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 no. I know that's a sin, but I'm not going to, I'm not punishing you. I'm going to punish my son, Jesus. I can't overlook this. And the Bible says that the soul that sins shall die, but I'm still alive. So who died? Oh, my Savior, my Lord, my God and my King. Wow. And so again, this he says, listen, I'm not, I can't ignore it, but instead of punishing you, I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it on my son. You guys with me? Isn't that, a, isn't that a great 
I mean, aren't you glad that God sent his son to die on the cross for us? Right? Aren't you glad that we're believers and that we trust Jesus and that when you die, you're going to stand before him? He's going to say, not guilty, because everything that you have done in your past, everything you're going to do in your future, it's all under the blood. It's all under the blood. You with me? Are you guys awake here? Give me an amen. But here's why I say that. Because last night in discipleship, here's what we learned. We still walk around sad. We have the best news. We have the best God. We have, I mean, think about this, guys. Our future is amazing. And what do we do? How are you doing? Good. Just sad. We are that way. And I'm just like, man, I got to get that audible. It's like, Lord Jesus. Like, oh. Oh. We know, guys, back in our text, the last Part of chapter 18 is broken into two sections. Verses 16 gives us a conversation with the angels, right, as they head down to Sodom. And then verse 23 to 33, we see Abraham interceding. Let's take a look real quick, guys, so we get a good run and go. Look at verse 16. It says, Then the men, speaking of the angels, rose there and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Remember where we went from here? We went over and said, Man, listen, God is revealing to Abraham, right, what's going to happen because we're friends of the Lord, right? He tells us in John, Friends, we are friends of God. And he says, And so he says, Listen, should I do that? He says, For I have known him in order that he may commend his children and his household after him, and that he would keep the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Guys, think about this. Abraham knows more about Sodom than Lot, who's a leader in that city. We talked about that last week. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Here it is. You ready? When we walk close with Jesus and are filled with his Holy Spirit, he gives us insight to what's going on in our world than to those who are actually leaders in the world. You know what's going on. You know what's going on. Case in point, right? And we, have to get, we don't have to get weird about it, but you'll hear something on the internet, you'll hear something on, on the news, and you'll say, hey, we've got, did you see this? They've got this little microchip that they're putting in the hands of people, and everybody goes, oh, what a wonderful thing. Can you imagine having all your information on this little RFD chip right here? You put it in, and then just all you need. You don't need credit cards. You don't need that. Just walk by. Boop, get it. There it is. All your medical history. And everybody goes crazy, and you and I go, uh-oh. Technology is catching up to where we need to be. Technology. See, God gives us insight farther than even. And then you'll, you'll have people going, listen, you cannot work here unless you get one of these. God gives that. God gives that. And he says, and the Lord said, verse 20, because of the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's great, and because the sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, and Abraham stood before the Lord. So what does Abraham do? You guys know the story. He intercedes for Sodom. And I bet right here he's thinking of his nephew Lot. Wouldn't you? Right? 
I want you to, want you, listen, listen, feel the weight of what's going on here for just a second. Abraham is in a tent. He walks out. He overlooks the plain. He sees just this beautiful. Now, you've got to remember, if you look at a map today, there's nothing in Sodom. There's nothing. It's all, it's nothing. It's judgment. It's, but back in the day, it was beautiful. It was like the Garden of Eden. It was nice. It was a place you wanted to live. It's like, man, perfect temperature, palm trees, everything you've ever wanted. I, that's where I'd go to. And so he oversees that, right? And he says, Lord, are you going to destroy Sodom if there's 50 righteous? You guys know the story, right? 50, and then he keeps going all the way. He goes all the way down to 10, all the way down to 10. Now, I made a mistake last week. You did? Here's what I thought. For some reason, maybe commentaries, but I thought that Lot had just two daughters that were married and two at home. So I said, you got two at home, you got your wife, okay, you, that's four, you have, right, two daughters and their husbands, that's eight, but then I looked at the scripture and I was like, it doesn't say he had two daughters, it says he had daughters. What if Abraham was thinking he had four daughters that weren't married and four sons-in-law, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, that's an easy fix, (laughs) I know that, and Abraham's going, I know there's at least 10 people there. My own family, I know that. All my nieces are saved, and they got husbands. Yes. And that's why Abraham didn't say, if there's just five. I don't know, but I know it's like, oh, okay, okay. And so he ends up in verse 33, right? He ends up with 10 in verse 32. We left off in verse 33. It says, so when the Lord went his way, as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham went to his place. You guys with me? So, right, the two angels head over to Sodom. Abraham goes back to his tent. The Lord goes where the Lord goes. And that's where we pick up our study for tonight. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to take notes. You go, Ben, I always take notes. Well, here's why. We have a narrative in the chapter, right? The overall theme, we talked about that. But in a lot of verses, guys, there's some great application for our walks with God. Things that we should avoid, right? Or things that we should apply, and then we just have general wisdom, okay? So so as I was going through, I was like, oh, did you see this? We can pull this out. You have the overall theme, but then it's just some great stuff. And so if you don't mark your Bible up or take a note, man, this, it's going to help you, I promise you. I promise you. And you go, why? Because here's what I found. Have you ever learned from your mistakes? We do, right? We should learn from our mistakes. But I think it's wise when you learn from somebody else's mistake, right? That's always wise to go, oh, this is what happens. I won't do that. It's, you're wiser, right? And so we want to learn from somebody. Let's learn from somebody who's already made the mistakes biblically and then apply them to our lives. So with that, guys, let's jump into our text. Chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he arose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now again, this verse, power-packed. Why? Well, think about it, guys. Check it out. Where do we find Lot? He's at the city gate. You go, Ben, I don't know, that doesn't mean anything to me. What does it mean? Well, if you have a pencil handy, guys, it means he held a position of authority. He was a civic leader. 
You had to come in through the gate, and then that's where all the people, that's where you met. So here's a leader in the city. Now, again, Lot has now prospered, if you will, in an ungodly city. But see, Lot is right in the middle His walk is compromised. You guys remember that? You go, what do you mean? Well, remember where Lot came from. Lot came from the godly line, right? Abraham serving God. But what happened is he began his downward steps, and it began back in chapter 13. If you call the first the first downward step, as, as Lot begins to compromise his walk, it starts off with this. He began to walk by sight, not by faith. He began to look at the plains and he said, listen, Uncle Abraham, I can stay with you. I can move just a little. Oh, but look at that. That looks nice. I mean, he didn't inquire of the Lord. He just walked by sight. The second downward step as he begins to compromise his walk is that he made a lot of his own choices. Well, pastor, what am I supposed to do? Guys, get counsel. Talk to people before you make that choice. There's always wisdom in the multitude of counselors. There's wisdom. And so it's nice to go, what do you think? Here's the scenario. Find people in your lives that are going to tell you the truth and love you whatever decision you make. Don't go to people going, listen, I need some counsel, but here's what do you, what do you think? Do you, let me, what do you, you know, and you go, oh, I don't think you should do it. Yeah, you're right. Find people that you love and go, listen, here's the picture. Here's what I'm thinking of doing. Tell me the truth. And don't be offended if they don't agree with you. That's what we want. We want everybody to agree with us and go, yeah, amen. Find somebody who goes, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Did you look over here? Or even find somebody who goes, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. Right? Specifically, specifically when it comes to dating, that's always a good way to say, what do you think? Here's this fella. Tell me what you think honestly. The third downward step, guys, is what did he do? Do you remember? He then pitched his tent toward Sodom. And now we find him sitting at the gate in Sodom, leadership. The fifth one we talked about, we're going to see moral decay. The sixth one, he loses his testimony And then the seventh downward step is he lived the rest of his life in insignificant, in a place of insignificance. So we have downward steps, but we can see, right, he's right in the middle of compromising. So what happens? Well, it says, Lot, when he saw them, guys, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself, right, with his face toward the ground. What's the same word? Same word as worship. Lot begins to worship. I don't know how he recognized them, but he's just like, And he gets up, right? And, and Lot recognized these angels. They were men, but they were angels. He runs to them and he bows down before them. And I wonder if Lot had that uneasy feeling in his belly. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're going, uh-oh, I'm busted. I'm busted. Lot, what are you doing? I shouldn't be here. And now he sees two angels and he's like, oh. And he runs to them. He's like, ah. Oh. You go, what do you mean? Well, guys, here's, here, here's how it is for us, right? Here's some application. When we get saved and we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, when we do wrong, that's when we get that uneasy feeling in our stomach, right? It's called conviction. Conviction. 
right? And it's beautiful. It's God's wonderful way of warning us that what we're doing is not pleasing to him. And yet, oftentimes when we get convicted, we try to, we try to like, oh, let me just sear that out. Let me just, oh, I'm, I'm convicted. But, but God's going, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, here's why I'm convicting you. Because the Holy Spirit living and you're headed down a path of destruction and, it, and, and your life is going to end up a mess. And I really don't want that. But we look at that term as so naked. I'm under conviction. I've got conviction. Conviction is amazing. If you learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Look at Genesis chapter 19, verse 2. And Lot said to them, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. Everybody look at verse 2 again, okay? Did you catch it? You go, I'm not sure. Did you, did, did you all catch it? You go, what's that? I read this so many times and I missed it. I missed it, right? You go, Pastor, you're going to have to show us. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, let me go back, okay? So Lot says to the angels, here's what I want you to see, right? He says, please come to my house. Everybody see that in your Bibles? Circle the word there for house. Why? Because this is the first time house is ever used. This is the first time. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure where, where, where you're at. What the, what the Word of God wants to do in our lives right now is give us a beautiful contrast between Abraham, who's walking with Jesus, and Lot, who's not walking with Jesus, okay? What do you mean? Okay, think about it. Where do we find Abraham in chapter 18? We find him next to a tent. He's in a tent. You're like, okay. When we come up in chapter 19, where do we find Lot? He's in a house. He's in a house. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Listen, here it is, right? Abraham is super wealthy. The dude is rich, and he's living in a tent. Why? Because remember, the Word of God wants to remind us that Abraham, like us, is a pilgrim. He's a sojourner, okay? He's a sojourner. His tent pegs aren't deep in the earth. He knows that heaven is his home, not here. He hasn't, he's like, okay, I'm just passing through. But Lot, on the other hand, guys, grab this. Lot, on the other hand, has a house. What does it mean when you get a house? It means you're a citizen. You're not just passing through. You're a citizen of that country. See, Lot's ten pegs went a little bit too deep. Sodom, Gomorrah, they were wicked. They were awful. They were ugly. And Lot says, I'm going to live here. I'm, I'm going I'm to live here permanently. Lot, I want you to pick up your tent and I want you to, Lot, I want you to go somewhere else. No, I've got, I've got a house here. I've got a house. And you go, Pastor, are you saying that I, I can't buy a house? <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying, okay? So don't sit there and say, Pastor said I couldn't buy a house. We got to all live in tents. No, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying to you. Listen to me. Guys, this is not our home, Christian. This is not our home. Please understand that as believers, we're simply passing through. And be careful you don't put your tent pegs too deep on this earth. We're just passing through. Now, remember I told you this, and I want you to write it down because I think it holds true. Alicia remembers this last week, right? Plan your lives 
like Jesus isn't coming back for a hundred years. But live your life, guys, like he's coming back tonight. That is key. That is key. Lot has a house. So come to the house. Come to the house. I've read it a thousand times. I didn't get it till tonight. So what's Lot trying to do? Guys, Lot's trying to get rid of the angels. Do you see that? Come home, get some rest. Let me wash your feet. And you can get up early in the morning and you can just get on out of here, right? Go. We're good. You don't need to be here. We're all, what are you doing here anyway? Note their response. They're like, no. We're going to spend the night in the open square. No way. Not in Sodom. Right? Notice verse 3. But he insisted strongly. So they turned to him and entered his house. Then he made him a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. You guys see this in verse 3. That's power packed too. Why? Because the word insisted strongly means he didn't take no for an answer. You can almost imagine what he was doing. No, 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 no. You guys got to come home. No, no. I mean, that's what it's just emphatic. You need to come home with me. You are not staying anywhere out here. Either go on your way. It's evening. The Bible told us that, right? So people who traveled didn't travel in the evening because of the thieves and the robbers. Come home. Come home. So they said, okay. They come into the house. Right? They enter the house. Now, notice it says this. Everybody see verse 3? Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. And they ate. You find that interesting? You know, uh, no. Let's chat then. Remember back in chapter 18, verse 6, the two angels show up with Jesus, and Abraham runs into his tent, and Sarah makes the meal. Sarah, he runs in, Sarah, make, make some cakes, man, make some, make some hot cakes. Now, we don't know where, life, where, where Lot's wife is. But we do know that according to the New Testament, biblically, his house is out of order. Well, what are you saying, that wives have to stay home and cook? No, let's see what God says. God says that the older women, in verse 4, Titus 2, 4, the older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children to live wisely, to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good and be, to, and be submissive to their husbands. And they will not be sh- bring shame upon the word of God. This is the word of God. Now, again, what am I saying? I'm not saying that a woman cannot work or have a career. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is this is what the text says. The text says that life, that Lot's wife is not mentioned. That's all it says. But it's out of order because we know we're contrasting Abraham and Lot. Abraham goes home. His wife is in the tent. Could you make him a meal? Then he runs to his servants here. He's like, come on in the house. Come on in the house. So let me make you. We don't know where Lot's wife is. We know she's not there according to the text. Well, what does the word of God say? It says that he, Lot, made a meal for his guests. What does he make? You guys know? He makes unleavened bread. I found that interesting too. Why? Leaven in Scripture is always a type of sin. 
That's, all it, that's what it is. Leaven in Scripture is sin, right? You know, what do you think Lot's trying to do here by making unleavened bread? Well, let me give you the practical, okay? And then I'll give you the spiritual. In the practical, he says, they're fast. I can make them. I don't have to wait for the dough to rise because leaven is yeast, and it, that's where it just takes too long. So on the practical, he's just trying to get them fed pretty quick. If I can get them fed, I can wash your feet. You can go to sleep. You can rise up 4 o'clock in the morning. You're on your way, and you don't have to know anything about my life here in Sodom. Spiritual, guys, because he's baking unleavened bread, he does what a lot of us try to do. You go, what's that, Pastor? Cover our sin. We like to cover our sin. It's like, wow. Spiritually speaking, here you go, unleavened bread. Here it is. There's no leaven in my house. Lot, really? But see, we can't even admonish Lot, can we? Because that's what we do a lot of times. How do, we, how do we cover our sin? I'll tell you how we cover our sin, okay? And it's not so much with unleavened bread, but it's by playing the blame game. We always blame somebody else. Well, Lord, it was the woman you gave me. Lord, I, that's, that was the problem. See, I was good up until she came, and then all of a sudden, you know, now I'm, I'm eating things I shouldn't be eating, and now sin, you know. And then what does the woman do? The woman says, it's the serpent, right? He's the one who deceived me, and we like to cover that. But what God tells us to do, guys, is to walk humbly and confess those things to the Lord and take responsibility. Lord, I blew it. I messed up. You know, we never like to play the what if. You know what I'm talking about? What if? But what if Adam and Eve would have just fell to the ground and confessed right there? Adam, you knew my word. Yes, Lord, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I blew it, man. Well, did Eve have anything? No, Eve didn't have anything to do with this. I'm the spiritual leader. I blew it. I take responsibility. We know that's not the case, right? Because what do they try to do? How do they try to cover themselves? With fig leaves, right? They try to cover their sin in a sense, right? Who told you you were naked? I heard one pastor today say that the glory of God was so thick that, that before they sinned, that the glory and they walked with God, it was so thick that they didn't even know they were naked. They couldn't, I mean, God's glory was so surrounding them. I thought that was so super cool. God's glory. And we're going to have that again one day, guys. In the new Jerusalem with the tree of life and the river of life going in. That's going to be so amazing in God's glory. But for today, for today, all we can do is confess our sins. Lord, I blew it. I know, yeah, I blew it. I blew it. Now things go from things go way, things go way bad right here. Look at verse four. Now before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Okay? How many of you have a New King James Version Bible? You have one. You'll notice that carnally is in italics. Okay? Italics. And and what it means carnally, that means it wasn't there in the original language. It says that we may know them. Carnally, actually, a better rendering is that we may know them sexually. Okay, if you have an NIV or New Living Translation, that's exactly what he said. Let them, where are the men? Let them come out so we may have sex with them. 
That's what it means. And you're like, whoa, 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 what happened? Here's what we know. Every man, young and old, surrounded Lot's house. And they start banging on the door and yelling, Lot, where are those men that came with you tonight? Where are they? Bring them out to us so that we bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. That's what they wanted to do. That's what they wanted to do. We must, we must at this point contend with the wickedness of Sodom. The word no is to be interpreted in the light of Genesis 4.1 as carnal or sexual, referring to homosexuality. That's what it means. But it's also the wickedness, listen to me, of man's hearts. Here's what we need to do. We know what the Bible says about homosexuality, but here's what we need to understand. That is not an isolated incident because the men's hearts are wicked. We can't just go, oh, well, that's that, but don't look at me. We have to see that Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked and evil before their Lord. This was an incident that they came out that was recorded in Scripture. But boy, we need to understand that man's heart, apart from Jesus, is wicked all the way around. We know that. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All of us. We've all sinned. And church, here's my, here's my plea to you. Please be so careful that we never gain an us versus them mentality. An us versus, right? An us versus them. A pastor's job is to feed the sheep. Can I get an amen? And I heard somebody say, be careful that we don't entertain goats. But I'm like, but I was a goat. You understand? Goats are just sheep that hadn't got saved yet. And I want to see them get saved. So we'll do whatever it takes, short of sin, to get those goats in here. To give them the word of God. You agree with me? I mean, I mean, isn't that really? Because we could all go, ah, we're all sheep now. Make sure we don't go us versus them. We should go more, that's what I used to be. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Let your heart cry out to those. Listen to me, listen. When mankind is left alone, we will sink to the deepest of depravity. When mankind is left alone without God, guys, we would travel the roads of admonitions, abominations. That's man. That's man. What's Lot going to do? Well, look at verse 6. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, and he shut the door behind them. Your attention, please. That doesn't mean anything to us, but it's so power-packed if you guys will look at it, right? You know, what do you mean? They come knocking, boom, 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 boom. Hey, come on, right? So what does Lot do? Lot says, okay, hold on, guys. And he comes out, and he shuts the door behind him. You go, okay, that's just a verse, Ben. No, no, no. Look deeper, guys. Look deeper at what's going on here. What I find something very, very interesting. You go, Ben, what's that? Lot leaves the angels in the house. You go, okay. Because of compromise and sin, he's not able to fellowship with his guests. He leaves to deal 
with the unpleasant situation, the men of Sodom. What do you mean? He left. I mean, what if an angel came to your house? Two of them. Tell me about God. What's going on? You're right. You want to fellowship. You know they're right. Bow down. He worshiped them. What does he have to do? Because of compromise and sin in his life, he has to leave beautiful fellowship and have to deal with an unpleasant situation. It's like, wow, Lot, get back in there. Get, visit. But he can't. He can't. Right? So he shut the door behind him and he said, notice, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Now, that blows my mind. Why? If you have a pencil handy, guys, circle the word for brethren. Why? Because this is what it means. It means family. It means kind of the same tribe. It means relative. I'm just like, what? He calls the men of Sodom, the wicked, evil men, he calls them family. I was like, wow. And he says, guys, family, brothers, brothers, don't do this. Well, what are you going to do, Lot? Well, notice the moral decay in verse 8. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let them, please let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Doesn't verse 8 blow your mind? Wow. Wow. Lot, your two daughters, that he would allow the rape of his daughters because he tells them, do to them as you wish. There's a moral decay going on here, Lot. How did you get there? Here's my hope. My hope is that when the Bible says that he shut the door, that his his little girls didn't hear what he was saying. How could you, if you heard that, how could you live that your dad's like, hey, my hope is they didn't, right? But the point I want to make is how did, listen, how did Lot get where he was? I mean, how did, how did he end up there, right? What happened? What happened? How did he get there? Well, it starts with compromise, Ben. But yeah, listen to this. Compromise affects others, Lot included. Where did he begin to compromise? Well, we know for us that it's 1 Corinthians 15 and 33 that says, do not be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. That's what Paul says to us. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's what he's saying. Who is Lot hanging out with all the time? He's in the city square. He's in the leaders. He's the, he's the same guys. And yet you'll have people after people say, no, my friends are cool. They would, no, listen. Bad company corrupts good morals. Be careful. Be careful who you choose your friends. Be careful who they are. Be careful who you allow to speak into your life. Make sure that they have God first. Make sure that they have your best interest at heart. Just because they ride with you doesn't mean they're for you, are they? Just because they're called your best friend doesn't always mean they want the best for you. Be careful. Be careful. 
Verse 9, and they said, stand back. And they said, this one came to us to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal with him, we will deal with you, then with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot, and he came to break down the door. But the man reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. This is crazy. Guys, they're so wicked, they go after Lot, and they try to break down the door. They're only saved by the angels pulling Lot back in the house. I mean, this is like... This, I mean, this is nuts. Look at verse 11. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Do you guys see that? Wow. They pull Lot in, and then the angels somehow, supernaturally with God, they strike them in at the doorway with blindness. They can't see. They can't see. And they become weary trying to find the door. Listen, if I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing, and God strikes me with blindness, I think I'm done. They're, they're not done. Let me, let me, let me give you some, some notes, okay? I want you to notice one thing, and I want you to write this somewhere in your Bible. I want you to notice that sin blinds spiritually even before the angels blind them physically. Sin blinds spiritually, even before angels blind them physically. Let me give you this. A few things that sin will do. You ready? Sin will make you stupid. Sin makes you stupid. Don't say stupid from the pulpit. It's the truth, right? You know what sin does? It blinds you spiritually. And if we can be honest in church, it makes you do things you think you would never do. But what it really wants to do is it wants to kill you. It wants to kill me. That's what sin wants to do. And a lot of us, we have our little pet sins that we think won't grow up and kill us. And it's so, and here's, I mean, it just, I mean, think about it. It reminds me of the story, the family who had some type of snake they took home, little snake, right? And it became the family pet. And they would feed the snake and... Eventually, the snake outgrew the little aquarium they had it in, and years went by, and the the little kid grew up with the snake, and all of a sudden, they realized the snake became very still, very still. And the child would play with the snake, but the snake would just lay straight, straight next to it. He would lay it on bed, and, you know, it's a pet, it's a pet, it's a a snake, and the the snake... So they said, man, he's not eating. 
He stopped eating. He's laying very still, very stretched out. This is not like him. So they took him to the vet. What's wrong with our pet, right? He's grown. He's always eaten. We've always fed him. And now he said, well, the vet looked at him and said, what, how long has it been? He said, well, he hasn't eaten for a, he hasn't eaten for a couple of weeks. And what's he doing? Well, he's laying, he's laying right next to our child. You know, our child is five years old and had him for five years. And he's laying right next to him. Really? The vet said, you need to kill this snake. Why? What's going on? He hasn't eaten for two weeks. He's laying straight next to your child. That snake is sizing him up because he's about to eat the child. That's what sin wants to do. That's what sin wants to do. It's like, wow. We got to be so careful, guys, because it makes us what? It makes us do things that we would never do. And sin always talks you into compromise. Oh, it's okay. God will forgive you. It's okay. We're under grace. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And in our text, guys, it causes these men who are blind to do something silly. You go, what's that? They get weary looking for the door. I look up the word weary. You know what it means? Exhausted and tired. They're not giving up. They're not giving up. How depraved does your flesh need to be not to give up and you can't find the door? Well, judgment is here. Look at verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, Lot, have you, have, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever they have in the city, take them out of this place. Okay, so what's he doing, guys? Here's the warning. Here's the warning. We're about to destroy the city. If you have anyone else here, get them out now. Get them out now. Lot must have been, I mean, think about there. Lot must have been there a long time. His daughters are grown. They're married. I mean, think about this. This is crazy. Lot, you got to get them out now. But let me give you a wisdom point. Okay, let me give you a wisdom point right here. In our world today, judgment is coming. For those who know Jesus, you will be rescued, like Lot. But for those who are left behind, guys, they're going to face judgment for seven years. Judgment on this earth. Well, you will, Pastor, what's the point? Here it is. You ready? We must, with our walks, how we walk with Jesus, with our lives, and with our mouths, Warn everyone we can about the coming judgment. That's our mission. That's our mission. Guys, listen. When the rapture takes place, the Holy Spirit who resides in every Christian will leave this world. God has timed this with Satan's next attempt to bring in his kingdom. We have to warn people. You go, what do you mean? With our walks. With our walks. Guys, you can, the way you live your life speaks volumes. The problem is, is the world knows when we compromise. We want to live with integrity and we want to live with our walks and even with our mouths because God will give you opportunities to share the gospel. 
Please, church, listen to me. Because we live in Lubbock, Texas, please let us not get wrapped up in, oh, we live in such a great community and it's such a wonderful conservative town. There's a lot of people that don't know my Jesus. We got to tell them. We got to show them. We got to walk the walk. We got to talk the talk. Guys, think about it. Back in our text, guys, we need to finish up. Last two verses. He says, For we will destroy this place because the outcry of them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. There's the warning. So Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were married to his daughters and said, Get up, get out, out of this place. For the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Guys, we see that Lot loses his testimony. His warnings fall short with his family. They think they think he's joking about the coming judgment. One of the commentaries I read said this, quote, Lot's son-in-laws cannot take him seriously. Until now, Lot's behavior hasn't reflected a life centered on God's will. So their skepticism comes at no surprise, unquote. Of course, I look at the time we're going to have to finish next week. As the band makes their way up, right? Now, stay, stay tuned, guys. Don't, don't tune out because I want to show you something. The story, right, shows us a New Testament picture of what it looks like to be a carnal, Christ, a carnal Christian. You go, what do you mean? See, Lot fits that description. See, Lot is a man who knows what is right and wrong, yet lives among those who are wicked. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this. Peter writes, Later God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them as an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Lot, you were tormented, and yet what does the Bible say to us? He says, dear brothers and sisters, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would a spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. He said, I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. He says, and you still aren't ready for you are controlled by your sinful nature. And you are jealous one of another. You quarrel with one another. That doesn't prove you're controlled by your sinful nature. Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I'm a, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? Father, we thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you for the wonderful nuggets that we have. We thank you, God, that 
that we can look at a text like this and just pull out, Lord, things that we need to avoid, things that we can learn from, and just wisdom. Thank you, God, for your great grace and your love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.